Hello, Revolution family. We've got a great episode for you today, um, but we will be discussing uh, some more heavy and mature topics. So if you are a younger listener, uh, we just uh, advise you to check with your parent or guardian before uh, continuing with this episode. Uh, Or if you're tuning in with younger listeners nearby you, please use your discretion. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Revolution Podcast, a place where we discuss the Bible, culture, faith, and why it matters for you. I'm Quinn, and this is my co-host Chase, and if you're looking for a podcast that explores the revolutionizing power of Christ in your life, then this is the show for you. Welcome back to Revolution Podcast. I'm very loud right now, and I apologize for it. Quinn, how are you doing right now? Pardon? How are you doing right now? Oh, man, we just, man, I wish we had the the mics recording. We could have just recorded the past two or three minutes. We should have been recording at least the past 30 seconds. Oh, man. We, man, if if the podcast ever falls, if the podcast ever gets off of its face and then falls on it again, um, you and I should go into stand-up comedy. Oh, um, yeah. Because we would be phenomenal at it. Uh, well, I actually am not that funny. You, you, you were, you had me laughing just now. Okay. Um, well, you're very kind because my, my family says I'm actually like not funny at all. Families are, the families have to say stuff like that though. My family says the same thing. And I find you hilarious. Exactly. This is what I'm saying. This is, this is the, the dilemma we fall into. But I also think I make you laugh because I just say stupid things i say stupid things too do you listen to anything i say <laughs> that's true but like you also have those moments where you just like form a joke and it's actually funny i form a joke and my family laughs at me not at the joke oh they're laughing at you for having said the joke yeah highly unfortunate i'm so sorry it happens loss. like probably every day at dinner oh daily habit hey i think i just gotta stop trying making jokes mm. Mm. i don't know i haven't I haven't worked it out yet. That's all good. That's something we can figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, today, Quinn, we, so last few episodes, we've been doing apologetics. We cover questions like, how do we know God exists? How could 11 God allow suffering? And um, how do we know the Bible is the word of God? I lost it too for a second. All good. We brought it back. Uh, and today we're going to be finishing off with apologetics. It is the gift that never stops giving. And Always. we could talk about it for many, many episodes more. Uh, but we're going to end it off today. And to end it off, we are doing a review of a book called Confronting Christianity, um, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion by Rebecca McLaughlin. Uh, we referenced a few of her arguments in our episode on... Uh, how could a loving God allow suffering? She's got mm-hmm. a chapter in her book about that very topic that is phenomenal, and we completely ripped off her entire answer shamelessly because it's brilliant. You're welcome. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Plagiarism, higher still. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, my English teacher never believed me when I use that excuse in school, though. I don't know why. I'm like, <laughs> anyways, I just plagiarized, and then they just got mad at me. Nice, <laughs> dude. Oh, I don't. Okay, don't have the time. So when I was being homeschooled, me and my cousin, we worked on a science assignment together. Right. Uh, handed it in at the same time. And we were in like grade, I was in grade seven, she was in grade eight. And because we were doing the same class, same project, and we were working on the project together, it was exactly the same what we handed in. And we both nearly failed the class because the teacher gave us like a zero on that and said that we should like just fail the entire class um, because we were engaged in plagiarism mm-hmm. and we were nasty little children. And um, me and her were both very upset. And she started going to high school uh, the year after that. Um, huh. So who is your, who's your teacher? Uh, I can't remember her name. Oh, um, it wasn't your mom? 
No, no, sorry. No, it wasn't my mom. No, sorry. Oh, this is an on class, online class. Uh, okay. I love you, mom. Uh, we're good there. Don't worry. Okay. No, my mom would never. Okay. Anyways. I, I remember grade two, though. I was, um, we were, oh, man, I, I remember this because I felt really bad, but I also didn't because I still plagiarized. Sure. Um, my teacher was like, hey, guys, you can't take it word for word in the book. We were doing a study on animals. Oh, you have to rephrase it in your own words. And I was like, grade to me. So I was like eight, maybe. Right. And I was like... Hmm. I just did that for a little bit and then I got lazy and I was like, yeah, it's hard work. Yeah. And I was just like copy and I was like, Hmm, what does this word mean? I'll yeah. just use it anyways. Nice. I like that. So I do that with a lot of Bible words. Propitiation. Okay. Um, confronting Christianity. Quote, Great. 12 hard Bring questions for the world's largest religion. Um, we plagiarized Rebecca. That's how we got on that tangent. Right. Um, but today we want to uh, kind of explore her book a little bit more, maybe press into some of the chapters we admired a lot more mm-hmm. and uh, give anybody, you guys listening, maybe you haven't read her book and you need to decide, oh, is this something I want to read or do I just want to hear uh, this uh, review and summary from these guys? Uh, we want to give you guys a bit of shape of the book and also talk because these are really good questions and she has some really good arguments. And so we want to get into that a little bit and give you a taste of what she is offering. So uh, Quinn, you've got the table of contents open there. Mm-hmm. Why don't you give us, uh, yeah, what, what what questions does she ask? What are these 12 hard questions? Yeah, so we're going to be, personally for today, we're going to be yeah. looking at three questions yeah. um, that we really liked, and we're going to kind of dive into that yeah. uh, argument a little bit. But the ones that I want to, the 12 questions are, aren't we better off with religion? With, without religion. Right. Yes. What did I say? You said, aren't we better off with religion? Oh. Yeah, that's all good. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, doesn't Christianity crush diversity? Mm. How can you say there's only one true faith? Yeah. Doesn't religion hinder morality? Um, number five, doesn't religion cause violence? Number six, how can you take the Bible literally? Very easily. Continue. Number seven, hasn't science disproved Christianity? Number eight, doesn't Christianity denigrate women? Number nine, isn't Christianity homophobic? Number 10, doesn't the Bible condone slavery? Number 11, how could a loving God allow so much suffering? Number 12, how could a loving God send people to hell? And then we have acknowledgments, general okay. index, and scripture index. If Okay, you guys need to come for the general index. Like, the general index will rock your socks off. Ooh, I that, like that. Dude, I was reading that general index, and I was like, hold up. And I flipped back a page, and I started reading it again. Oh, time of my life reading that general index my goodness anyways um rebecca is a phenomenal writer uh she's brilliant it sounds just she because she has her testimony and some personal information kind of woven throughout her book it sounds like she has a phd of some kind we should have probably done better research research on her as a person um yeah we definitely should have anyways we're we're winging it here it sounds like she has a phd even if she doesn't she's she's a ridiculously smart person she went to cambridge she went to cambridge she's british having a british accent immediately okay quint listen to this um if i start talking in a british accent immediately i sound smarter right like rebecca mclaughlin wrote a book called confronting christianity 12 hard questions for the world's largest religion um i'm gonna stop doing that before people try to kill me um anyway she's a very smart person and she she's also a very very good writer like she yeah. is, she's brilliant at weaving stories into um these difficult questions she makes it very personal she ties it into her own life and life story and so yeah just very admire her style um she has such like 
specifically the, the three chapters of hers that I really admire are chapter eight, doesn't Christianity denigrate woman? Chapter nine, isn't Christianity homophobic? And uh, chapter 11, how could a loving God allow so much suffering? Uh, I think those three are the best written of the whole book. Um, and honestly, like, and, and the other ones are, are quite good too. Um, they can feel maybe a little bit more elementary, a little bit more basic. Yeah. Um, but not because they're like like below average or even average. They're all above average. Just the other ones are so much more above average that the other ones pale a little bit in comparison. The only chapter that I would say like um is like on on more of the average level is chapter seven hasn't science disproved christianity um that i think would be the weakest chapter in the book uh which is a high compliment uh because it is still very very good yep um and yeah i mean even just for those three chat like chapters eight nine and eleven alone i think Per, like buying the book is worth it just to read those three and then you get all these other wonderful um answers to these difficult questions as well um so yeah i mean I, I i thoroughly enjoyed the book this the time we read it for this i read it once uh last year and then i this is my second time through it and um it gave up even more the second time through so it's a book that's not just worth one read i'd say it's worth two um so uh, yeah I, I love it it's a fantastic book um yeah. do we want to talk a little bit about those specific chapters we like them yeah, do you want to do just a brief overview of each one? Uh, or do you want to do it one at a time as we go through? Let's do it one at a time as we go through. All yeah. right. So, Chapter one, tell us about it, Quinn. Oh, man. Aren't we better off without religion? Yeah. Um, this was, it's kind of her first chapter, but it's also, as we kind of discussed, it's also kind of an introduction. It's like, okay, you know the first chapter of the first Harry Potter book? Yes. It's a prologue, right? You remember yeah. that? It, oh, it, yeah, it's yeah, it's basically a prologue, but it's called chapter one. This, it's an introduction, but she calls it chapter one. Eh, whatever. And it's still an amazing chapter. Yes, like, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this chapter. Nice. Um, and yeah, so aren't we better off without religion? And so she kind of she kind of frames it with um, atheist people in it, right? Yes. And then yeah. she frames it with um, like people without religion religion or claim that they have no religion whatsoever yeah and then Losing she goes my religion and then she goes into um why church attendance is so pop like good for you and yeah. high yeah and then but she also talks about seven biblical principles which i think are are really good for us totally and so yeah she kind of something that she talks about with um people without a religion is people don't see a need to follow a god they don't mm -hmm. see a need for for any of that yeah right um do you have anything to add on that yeah yeah i mean that's awesome i she yeah so she starts by kind of diving into the, the what's called the new atheist movement so she touches on a few big thinkers like uh, sam harris richard dawkins chris hitchens yeah um and just the would you say worldview that they promulgate that you don't need God. And in fact, God is actually a detriment. So, you know, then the question comes, aren't we better off without religion? And she looks at some statistics that show um, the group of university students um, who identify as having no religious affiliation, whether that means atheist or agnostic or just like none, um, all those get grouped together. And it, it's rising actually quite quickly yeah. on college campuses. And so um, then she asked this question. So are today's students simply waking up to the fact that we do not need religion anymore? Um, and then she says, just said it, and she doesn't even dive into any theology in this chapter, but she says just on an empirical level, the answer is actually 
actually know. So she dives into it a little bit. She has this really good quote. Um, it says, uh, to say that religion is bad for you is like saying drugs are bad for you without distinguishing cocaine from life-saving, life-saving medication, right? Like religion isn't just this brush that paints everything the same way. Like yeah. Buddhism, Christianity, very, very different. Islam and Christianity, very, very different. Judaism and Christianity, very, very different, right? You can't just say religion and mean everything. Aren't we better off without Buddhism? Yeah. Aren't we better off without Islam? Yeah. Aren't we better off without Christianity? No. Uh, so aren't we better off without religion is very, very broad. And so she treats the chapter a little bit broadly. Um, but like you said, Quinn, she, she goes into actual um, biblical principles that are like healthy for us in a way, right? And that are actually just like purely, like she says, on an empirical level, apart from the, what would you say, theological or spiritual aspects of it. These things are just good for us. Like they're yeah. plain out good for us. And the Bible wants us to do them. Um, I don't, do you want to hit on what those, I mean, she talks about relationships a little bit, but then the yeah. actual like biblical principles, do you want to hit on those at all or? Yeah. I mean, it starts off with, um, religious attendance. So she talks sure. a, yeah. a, about that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, something that she says is that when people attend a religious, um, service, they're actually proven to be happier, less, um, levels of divorce. Yeah. And they're more optimistic as a person. And yeah. why is that? And people will say, oh, it's just the community, right? Sure. In it within the church. It's like, no, you can find community outside of that. Oh, yeah. 100%. Outside of just the church. Like yeah. I have friends that are outside of the church. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, but something that she says is that um, the community that you find only counts for about 30% of the joy that comes mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. And so something that, and then she dives into the biblical principles that will say, um, will also give you joy with that. Yeah. Right. hundred percent. And so um, do you want me to dive into those? Yeah. Yeah. We can just work through them. Um, so yeah, she kind of talks about the first one is it's more blessed than to receive. And so something that more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah. yeah. Love that. It's yeah, been a long good. day. It's all good. Yeah, um, yeah. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so something that she says is that Christians are more willing to serve and give up their time, more money than other people of the secular world. Yeah. And I don't think that should be a shock to us. No. Um, at least it wasn't to me. It's like, if in fact, it was like, I don't think that's a bad thing. No. Oh, no, no, no. No, it, yeah. sorry. Maybe that's the wrong way to put it. No, no, but no, but you're right. And um, one of her points is that like the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. She says it actually is like volunteering has a positive impact on our mental and physical health. Mm -hmm. Actively caring for others yields greater physical and psychological benefits um, than, than not doing that. And giving like, like being financially generous, again, has psychological payoffs. Um, so yeah, kind of her point with that. And again, when again to the other ones too, is that like um, purely like, um, like she says, again, on an empirical level, these like these biblical principles are actually good for us. So mm -hmm. it is more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah, like like it's actually better for you to be a giving generous person than to not. Yeah. Um, so yeah. 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 Um, and you, you kind of touched on this a bit. And her second one is that the love of money disappoints. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we all know that money can be an idol for everybody. I mean, it, yeah. that's pretty plain but something that she actually brought up that i think was really interesting is that um a lot of people would say that the love of money is the most important thing in their life yes right yeah. um but a study actually showed that the amount of money that people are making has doubled since the 1970s 1972. or 80s 1972 yeah okay um but people's happiness has actually stayed the same since or decreased yes yeah and 
I mean, in our heads, it's still the same. It's like, oh, money, money's going to fix all my problems. But yeah. it's actually, I mean, we all kind of know that it's, yeah. it's going to do the opposite. Totally. Yeah. Um, then something that she talks about is work works when it's a calling. Yeah. Did important- I get that? Yeah. Yeah. The importance of a calling in your life rather than just like, uh, just a job. Yeah. Yeah. It's seeking out, um, deeper meaning yeah deeper meaning within your day-to-day job yes i think that that's really easy for us to to do it's like hey i work at a, a restaurant yeah how can i um use that as a calling yes how can yeah. i talk to the employee my fellow employees my my friends or whatever in that situation yeah right yeah she's uh, got a good illustration for that one are you okay if i read it yeah and she says so, th- so she uses illustration to um kind of demonstrate that she says three bricklayers are asked what are you doing The first says, I'm laying bricks. The second says, I am building a church. The third says, I am building the house of God. The first bricklayer, sorry, the first bricklayer has a job. The second has a career. The third has a calling. Yeah. I think that just illustrates the point beautifully. And it's so true. And everybody knows that's true, right? Yeah. Like there's a deeper meaning in what you do and you can seek that out. Um, And if you do seek that out, you're you're better off for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, and then the next one, um, we can really be happy in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that um, a lot of people miss out on. Yeah, I think um, some people, they're like, I can, us, we can be happy in all circumstances because we know that God is behind us um, through it all, no yeah. matter what. And that's really easy for me to say on this side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for someone who doesn't believe in God or is struggling with that, they they don't have that that hope and joy that we have. Totally. Um, and then gratitude is good for us is another one. She um, gratitude is good for us. Yeah, yeah. and she kind of talks about how so often we forget the things that God has done. Yeah. Um, so often we like the Israelites. We we so often forget how good God has been in the desert. Yeah. How He gave us manna. Yeah. for for those 40 years or however long it was. Yeah. I think we forget that, um, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so when we're thankful and we get to see who God really is and what he's done for us, I think that that plays a whole nother point in our in our lives. Totally. She's got this nice little, in that the gratitude is good for us section. Again, on the empirical level, uh, she says that this there's a psychology professor who's actually written a big scholarly work on gratitude called The Psychology of Gratitude. His name is Robert Emmons. He says, so this professor, he says, he calls gratitude the forgotten factor in happiness research, right? Um, and so gratitude, and then she says, gratitude is buried at the heart of Christianity. And yeah. so like gratitude, yeah, like that's exactly what she says. Gratitude is good for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then self-control and perseverance helps us thrive. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think something that she kind of talks about is how we can love others through that Yeah, and how, yeah, it'll take work. It might take some, some biting your tongue when you want to say something and just using some self-control within that. But I think when we use our self-control in whatever way, shape or form that looks like, yeah, I think, um, we really get to understand and know people on a whole nother level. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, and like on that idea of um, self control and perseverance. Um, again, 
there's a psychologist named Angela Duckworth who says passion and perseverance for very long-term goals can be more predictive of a person's success than social intelligence, good looks, health, or IQ, right? So the Bible encourages perseverance. Uh, it encourages that idea of um, the Christian life is a hard road, right? Paul talks yeah. about it as like a marathon that you have to run, this race that you run, you run to the end. Perseverance mm-hmm. is baked into the Christian walk. Um, and that like mindset of perseverance is more predictive of somebody succeeding in what they're aiming at than almost anything else. That's, mm-hmm. qu- that's quite powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's then- the last one there? The last one is forgiveness is foundational. Mm. And man, forgiveness is actually crazy. Um, yeah, I think part of something that she says is um, when we base our life on Jesus yeah. and we place our whole hope in him, um, we we get to recognize how much we're actually forgiven. Mm, so good. We realize um, something that Paul David Tripp likes to, to say is it's we often... Uh, it's when we see how much of a sinner we are, yeah. It allow and see how much we need grace. It allows us to to help the person next to us totally. and forgive the person next yeah. to us. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and then again, she cites a the Journal of Behavioral Medicine. Um, it says forgiveness, particularly forgiveness not dependent on the actions of the offender, has been linked to multiple positive and physical health outcomes. Right. So again, she just she just, she really hammers that point home. Right. Like all these things, like like you said, Quinn, you unpack it, and it's good in our spiritual walk and our relationship with God, and it's good for us. And then like it's crazy because because we know it's good for us, and we we know that. But then all this modern research and psychology, it's not teaching us anything new it's just scientifically um confirming what the bible has been teaching for so 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 long yeah Um, and that's that's just fascinating right again it's another example of how modern science and the bible don't contradict each other they actually like fit together perfectly because science explores truth and the bible is truth so it makes perfect sense that what the bible tells us to do would be good for us um yeah yeah I like it. Anything else you want to say about that chapter there? Aren't we better off without religion? The answer, um, by the way, is no. Yeah. Uh, if we you, are not. Yeah. I think I think that's good. I think I I really love that chapter. I mean, there's more stuff we could go into, but that's kind of a brief slash in-depth look at the chapter. Um, Chase, is there anything you want to talk about or do you want to move on to the no, next just, one? Just the last paragraph she uses there. This is part of why we say this is an introduction to the whole book. Here's the last uh, paragraph of this chapter. Um, no matter what we currently believe, we must all confront Christianity, the most widespread belief system in the world with the most far-reaching intellectual footprint and a wealth of counterintuitive wisdom concerning how humans should thrive. So let's begin. And then you get into the other 11 questions. And yeah, I, I just think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you want to move into chapter eight, is it? Yeah. Oh, there's so, I, I wish we had like the time and space to talk about all of them because her, her chapter on diver, like doesn't Christianity crush diversity also very, very good because that, that's often big, been a big thing for me um, because we get this idea in our heads of um, like, like uh, racist Christians using the Bible to like hammer down on different people and like colonialism was a Christian thing and Christians hate like anybody who isn't white and all these different things. And so the way she unpacks the chapter is brilliant. Um, Long story short, um, she basically builds the case that Christianity is actually the most multi-ethnic diverse movement in the history of the world. And she's quite right. Um, Chapter three, how can you say there's only one true faith? Uh, Again, I think that's a silly question. Um, 
but it's a good chapter. Uh, there's a few questions that I think are silly questions, but they're good chapters. Um, because can you say, how can you say there's only one true faith? Um, that's the way the truth works. Like there's, there's one type of truth. It's objective truth. It doesn't have an agenda. It just is right. And that's Not the way truth, truth works. Oh, Quinn, don't get me started in your truth right now. Uh, chapter four, doesn't religion hinder morality? Pretty related, uh, like uh, connected to chapter one there. That's quite good. Chapter five, doesn't religion cause violence? It was an okay chapter worth reading for sure. Chapter six, how can you take the Bible literally? Learn how to read. That was my one, <laughs> literally, I took notes on all the chapters. My And most of them are pretty in depth. Chapter six, my one note is learn how to read. And that solves all the problems with the Bible um, being like contradictory or whatever. Chapter seven, hasn't science disproved Christianity? It was good. Um, chapter eight though, let's get into that. Chapter eight, doesn't Christianity denigrate women? Um, because that, again, that's like the diversity thing. It can be so easy for like that kind of picture to be conjured up in our head, right? Like, um, what, what do you think of me? Oh, well, women are supposed to be submissive and women's are a man's property and women have to be wives and have to be married and have to listen to their husband and, and they're there to be the helper. And the woman brought sin too. So not only is she weaker, but she also like cause a whole bunch of problems and then just kind of spirals from there. And that can be the picture that people have in their heads of the Bible's attitude towards Mm -hmm. women. And that just that just is not it at all. And Rebecca, I love it. She goes back to the very beginning uh, of the Bible and she works through the story of men and women and their relationship with God. And it starts with um, Adam and Eve in the garden. And this is really interesting that she pointed that she pointed out that I hadn't realized before. Um, it's in in the Genesis account uh, when God um, decides to make Eve. Uh, he says that he needs a helper for the man. Yeah. And in our heads, it can be like, oh. Eve is just the helper, like Adam is the main event and she's just there to help him whatever he needs, cook and clean and do the laundry and all that. And um, and helper in English sounds a lot worse than the Hebrew word because um, it sounds like a subordinate role, but in the whole Old Testament, that word helper is applied to God again and again and again. I wrote down just one of the scriptures you referenced, Psalm 54 verse four, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the uplifter of my life right? That's not a subordinate role at all. It's mm-hmm. actually very, very important. It does not imply inferior status. Yeah. Uh, I got this one other, this other quote from her. Um, yeah. And so then, then the idea of men and women in marriage, and she talked about marriage a lot in this chapter. And so here, here's this one quote. It says, the God who exists in utter intimacy with love across difference, across the core of his being, creates image bearers who are of the same essence, but different and calls them into one flesh unity. So he creates men and women who are both made in the image of God, but they're different creatures, but they're meant to come together to create that unity Yeah. again. And so that's the beautiful picture. And then sin comes into the picture and there's the fall in the garden and God's pronouncing curses. And he says, Eve, um, your desire will be for your husband and that does, or maybe towards your husband. And that word desire um, is a very special word. And so she, there's, Rebecca says, desire here communicates will to possess and master. Gone is the unashamed uh, united love story between men and women. Now there is conflict and power struggle. This is a result of rebellion, not God's original design. So there is, she points out that this, whatever conflict there exists between men and women is a result of sin. It's evil. It's corrupt. It is not part of God's vision whatsoever. God had yeah. this vision of perfect unity between men and women, and that's been broken by sin. 
Um, and so then, then she goes into the rest of the Bible and she points out Jesus. I won't get into all the details because we don't have time, but Jesus in his ministry constantly elevated women. Mm-hmm. Like he was so um, countercultural that way. Like he had female disciples. Uh, the first, like the first disciples to discover the empty tomb were all women. He used women uh, as like, he uplifted them as examples in his parables. Um, he healed women the same as he healed men. He honored women uh, when there were men nearby. Like you think of the widow um, with just the three copper coins in the temple of all the men pouring out their riches, right? And Jesus honors that widow instead, right? Like like Jesus um, honored women in such in, in a way that was completely foreign uh, to uh, the country and the time and the people he was part of. Yeah, um, which which is just amazing. Yeah, like even the woman at the well. Yes, the um, Samaritan woman. That's. That's a point for the diversity thing too, right? Because yeah. Jews and Samaritans were different ethnic gr- groups and the Jew- and they hated each other. And then also this Samaritan woman was a woman and Jesus like came to her and conversed with her and loved her, right? And she, yeah. and on top of not only being a Samaritan and being a woman, she was also like engaged in like sexual sin. Yeah. Um, and Jesus knew all of that. And, and yet he sits with her and he talks with her and he loves her and he heals her and calls her to himself. And it's just brilliant, right? It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Jesus, obviously, obviously God has his vision for men and women, which is to bring them both to himself and love them. Yeah. So yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. And would you say that, oh man, nope, lost it. Oh, it's not coming okay. back to me. That's okay. Uh, so, so, so anyways, we get, we get the idea that God does not have a lesser vision of women than he does of men. That, that just isn't true at all. So then we come to one of the, you could call them problem passages, which is Ephesians 5, 22 to 24, uh, which in summary says, uh, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And Rebecca points to that. She says, I see two problems with that. One, that wives should submit because she says, I'm smart. Um, I don't like to sit idly by. I don't like to submit things. I like to make decisions. I'm a good leader and I'm capable of that. Why should I not if I can make a better decision than my husband? Fair point. Um, two, um, that wives should submit to your to your husbands as to the Lord. Jesus is perfect. I'll submit to him no problem. Why should I submit to this fallible, sinful man mm-hmm. in the same way I'd submit to the Lord? Um, and so that obviously that command shouldn't be, but it has been twisted, right? Um, yeah. Where where men who want to abuse and dominate their wives and twist that scripture into something it isn't will you will yeah they'll make it. Um, They'll apply it in ways that it wasn't meant to be applied. Um, and that can often happen if you take it out of context. Um, but then that passage also includes a command to husbands. And mm-hmm. that command is to lay down your life for your wife. It yeah. is to give yourself up for her as Christ gave himself up for the yeah. church. So and so Rebecca has this quote. She says, how much more easily could an abuser twist a verse calling his wife to suffer for him, to give herself up for him, and to die for him? right? Which is the harsher command to die or to submit the point, the point, And this is what she gets at. The point isn't who has the worst job or who has the harder job. The point is that each person is submitting to each other in a different way, right? Like the husband gives his life up for his wife. He, and, 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 and you look, read the book of Hosea and you, and you look at Christ's relationship with the church, even if his wife doesn't deserve it, he still sacrifices everything for her. And that's, that's more than just like a, a physical death, right? Yes. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. It's like, um, I, 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 it's 
a death of your personal interest. It's a death of self gain. It's death of this is what I want. It's this is what is good for us and good for you. And so I'm going to do that even if it, even if it hurts, right? Even if it's painful to me, even if it costs me a lot, even if it costs me my life, I will give it up for your sake. That's Christ's relationship to the church. And that's how a husband should treat his wife. And yeah. Um, so like, um, and then she, she has this funny quote that like, if Paul's instructions on marriage are shocking to our modern ears, they would have shocked his first hearers for precisely opposite reasons. The radical elevation of women, right? Th- these, these, this verse in Ephesians doesn't denigrate women at all. Like it actually elevates them to a point that would have been completely shocking for the people who first read that letter. Um, and oh, you know what? Uh, how much time do we have? Do do you have a mark on the time at all? Nope. Okay. Um, so she she has this interesting thing about uh, feminism and the sexual revolution. Uh, okay. And maybe we maybe we won't get to the other chapter because I do want to talk about this because it's very very interesting. Okay. Sweet. Um, so she talks about how the essentially a, a big goal in the sexual revolution was to destroy marriage, right? Like marriage is this binding institution um, okay. that forces monogamy on people and it isn't good for anybody and people should be free to have as many partners as they want, they like and that's the key to happiness. Um, and what's interesting is that so many studies have come out that show that um, like sex within a committed relationship is um, not only better like it, like better sex, but also um, it's better for the people involved to be in a committed relationship and have that kind of intimacy. Yeah. Um, and what's really really interesting is that it's actually better for women to be in that intimate, like that committed relationship, than it is for men. It's good for men too, but it's better for women to be part of that um, for their overall physical and mental health. Like multiple um, sexual partners for women is linked to depression and anxiety tendencies. Super super interesting. Yeah. I mean. This is going to sound really stupid, but I remember, I mean, we've talked about it before, how, um, let me, let me, let me think, um, how you can't have sex without, um, like without any feelings, right? Yeah. Consequences. Yeah. Consequences. And I mean, you want to just have like people quote unquote meaningless sex. That's not. That's a, that's an oxymoron. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen this show, um, I'm going to sound really stupid here called New Girl. Yes. And yes. she, she, who's that girl? Yep. Um, but it's Jess. Yeah, we're going. <laughs> she, I mean, she talks about that. Yeah. And, but she says, I can't. That, that's, she said, there's always feelings involved. Yes. Yes. And that, and I think from a secular show, that, that's very interesting to see. Yeah. Well, and what's in, what, but it's true, right? And that's why that's in there. And so, so this, this is the really interesting part. Marriage favors women, right? Because that committed relationship, it's good for men too. A lot more important for women, though, for their mental and physical health. Okay. So Rebecca has this quote in her book that was controversial to me, even though I agree with her, sort of. Listen to this. Oh. Um, but is it possible? That what women have gained in freedom and professional opportunity, may m- many have lost in the sexual revolution that cloaked what many men wanted, commitment-free sex under the mantle of liberating women. Essentially, um, this this um, sexual revolution was supposed to free women because men already were allowed to, like, you, you can have as many partners as you want and you're not judged for it. But if a woman had lots of partners, she was judged for it. So the point of the sexual revolution was, women, you're allowed to have as many partners as you want to. And so you were freeing women, right? Right. Um, was, so, and so this is the part I agree with. She says, maybe that actually was a very bad thing for women. I agree with, but this is, this is the interesting part. She says, was, was it, 
did it cloak what many men wanted, commitment-free sex mm. under the mantle of liberating women. And so what this, so this is the point that I disagree with her, is that the sexual, it, it, and I could be wrong, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but what it sounds like she's saying is that men used the sexual revolution in order so that they could have more commitment-free sex with women. Um, and, I, and I completely agree about how the sexual revolution actually was very, very harmful compared to anything like it was a, a terrible terrible um step back for people mm -hmm. um but i i do disagree that it was primarily men use like it was like men were devising that in order to get more commitment free sex about it i think that's probably part of the reason they didn't resist but i do think um that women drove that change um and that was a very bad thing um yeah not not um not blaming and as but the, the of course the problem was that men were already acting that way men didn't force women to act that way women joined in right um I've, it's been said um that the sexual revolution was right when it said men were acting like pigs but it was wrong when it said that's then that means it's good for women to act like pigs too right um, and i would disagree with the premise that men use that to get commitment-free sex out of women. Um, I would say that men were already acting that way, um, but women drove the sexual revolution big time in that regard, right? Like they were for the legalization of the pill. They were for um, tearing down the stereotypes around like judgment for women for having multiple sexual partners. I think it's wrong that a man wouldn't get judged for having multiple sexual partners and yeah. a woman wouldn't. I think they should both get judged for it. I, I think the wrong direction is don't judge either of them. The, the right direction is that's disgusting behavior for both people. Um, and again, and you know, people get mad. It's like, oh, you shouldn't be so judgmental. Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not one to judge from a place of perfection. Like, I, I have my own disgusting sins that I've struggled with and had to deal with. Yeah. Um, that's the story of humanity. Um, that doesn't mean that these sins aren't disgusting. All sin is disgusting. Um, but just because all sin is disgusting doesn't mean I'm not going to call it gross. Um, anyways, that was just a very, very interesting quote for me. Um, the idea that in the sexual revolution, it, it cloaked what many men wanted, commitment-free sex under the mantle of liberating women, because I'm, I agreed with like 99% of it, just that one bit, like I was like, ooh, there's, there's a conversation to be had there. I don't know. Yeah. 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 I, I don't really have a ton of thoughts on that. Um, yeah. How does that, I guess, I'm just trying to figure out how does that relate back to the, the chapter? Doesn't Christianity denigrate women? Um, because Christianity creates the context for marriage. Um, without Christianity, there would be no marriage. Right. Um, God, like marriage is God's invention. It's God's design for humanity. And so God created a... Uh, space and commitment so that women could have the best possible sexual relationship they can, right? Inside of that co uh, committed relationship. Because outside of it, it's women who suffer from that. Um, and so marriage isn't a uh, bondage for women. It's, it's a place for them to thrive. Um, and then Rebecca ends off that chapter with this great quote um, it says, the ultimate man laid down his life for the billions of women who have trusted him with theirs. Does Christianity denigrate women? On the contrary, it lifts us up into fellowship with God himself. So no, Christianity doesn't denigrate women. Um, it makes women co-heirs with the son of God. Yeah. Which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. And then chapter nine, maybe we just hit on it quickly. Isn't Christianity homophobic? 
Um, she had an interesting point. The Bible doesn't ban same-sex relationships. It actually encourages them. Pause, Rebecca, what do you mean by that? She doesn't mean sexual same-sex relationships, uh, but she does mean friendships. Yeah. Um, and she says, the one body reality of gospel partnership is not a lesser thing than the one body reality of marriage. We have this on the authority of Jesus himself, who never married and invested deeply in friendship and declared, um, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends, just from John 15, 13. Um, mm -hmm. And so the point she makes is that um, marriage is described as this one flesh between man and woman. The church is described as one flesh, right? Like you were all one body in Christ Jesus. So that kind of unity is um, among believers as well, um, which is actually quite interesting. Um, and then she talks about um, how it's like sexual desires for somebody of the same gender as you. Um, she, she talks about how that is a longing for something that isn't actually that person. Um, if we want, she has this quote, if we want infinite delight, a finite being will not satisfy. Um, and like, and another point is like, everybody is sexually broken in some way. Um, and unfortunately as of the church, uh, we have often focused on some sexual sins and certain forms of sexual brokenness way more than others. Right? Like if, um, I don't know, I can think, yeah, like if, if I think generally in a lot of church contexts, if a young man, like a young a young kid, like a teenager, like a 13 year old um, admitted that he was struggling with homosexual desires, that would cause a much bigger panic than a 13 year old who admits that he's struggling with like pornography use, right? Even though like, like on it, like at that point, I think the pornography use is a much bigger problem because he's actually engaged in the activity, whereas the other boy is just thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but the one causes a much bigger stir than the other, and that's not a good thing. Um, and she points to First Corinthians six, mm. where Paul lists several sins, uh, and he's and one of them is homosexual activity. Um, and then he says to the Corinthians, and you were engaged in this behavior before you came to Christ. Mm -hmm. And so she says, according to this passage, um, some of the very first Christians um, entered the church with homosexual histories. And that's true. And of course that still happens today, yeah. but there's grace and mercy for everybody through Jesus Christ. Um, and then hitting on the idea of like sexual identity. Um, she, so she's talking about God and this is a great quote again. She says, and when God calls you or me child, beloved, friend, that's who we are. And any other identity, male, female, father, mother, child, friend flows from that. So your identity is not what or who you are attracted to. Your identity is that you are a child of God that's it everything else is subordinate to that mm -hmm. um and so is and so homophobic in the sense of like um do christians um hate gay people because they're gay people some do yeah um but that's the attitude of specific individuals what is the picture the bible paints everybody's broken um, but when you come to Christ, you become a child of God and that is who you are. And your relationship yeah. with Jesus will fulfill you more than any other um, longing for sin that you might have. That sin, uh, it's, like, um, it's like drinking Coca-Cola when you're thirsty. 
it just leaves you wanting more, even though it might satisfy it for a little bit, right? I've heard that illustration before. Plagiarism, again. Uh, anyways, yeah, it's a great chapter. So yeah. yeah, great book though as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess kind of wrap it up. Um, yeah, just finish it off. I mean, Chase just said it. Great book. Definitely worth a read. Um, but I guess to wrap up this apologetic series, we've been looking at some big questions and we've kind of grazed over some big questions today. But I think we we can't we can't just look at these questions. Hmm. I think um, so. For me right now, I'm doing roofing right now. In the past two jobs, we've um, had some amazing views, and just kind of for me, as I look out on the roof, just kind of look out into the distance, see some beautiful mountains, and I'm just like, take a second and just kind of stare at them, and it, it's truly amazing, and it just makes me makes me think a lot of uh just as like wow i can't believe um god created this and all these kind of things and whatnot but i think um if i were to just look at these mountains and just be like wow they're cool whatever you're gonna miss the actual beauty and the creator behind all of this and i think that's the same with these questions if we just take these questions and look at them to be like i can fight an atheist against these questions right that is the wrong view on it it you're the reason for answering these shouldn't be to fight someone in argument. It should be to understand the question, know the question. That That's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But what I am saying is use these questions to be like, wow, I'm learning this about God. Yeah. This is how I know God more and how I can press into him more. It's yeah. through knowing that God is actually truly real that I can press into that relationship. Yeah. It's through knowing that there is some kind of joy that we may not understand through suffering that we can learn to pursue God more. Mm -hmm. It's through recognizing that the Bible is true that we can learn to read our Bible more and better and more in depth. And so I would just say that as, as we leave this apologetic series, I would say, don't, don't miss that. Mm. Any thoughts, Chase? Don't miss that thing oh yeah that's all i'm thinking yeah awesome so next week we have our episode on six spiritual disciplines you are probably neglecting um great episode i love it yeah um so yeah that'll be fantastic uh whatever you're um listening on follow leave a review every little thing helps tell a friend um and if rebecca's book sounds good grab a copy. She's a fantastic person and a great author and uh, happy of any small support we can add to her uh, as she continues her ministry. So yeah, blessings to everybody and hope you have a great week. See ya.